You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Am I good? It's a little somber. Somebody steal your car? Oh, that's going on right now. No, I'm kidding. Um, really excited about today. Really, really pumped up. We had a great service at 9 o'clock. Moving through these four cultures in the uh, series called The Win. Um, I had experience a while ago that was kind of odd. Went to the restroom, making sure everything was, you know, correct. And I had this string off the side of my jeans, and I pulled it, and it it went all the way down my britches leg. So left side, if something comes out over here, y'all let me know. Don't let me just stand up here and be embarrassed. All right, I've never seen that happen with Levi's. I thought they were stronger than that, but just kind of odd. It feels a little funny. So I'll be staring at my side, Jim, but if you will, just kind of hook me up. There's, there's something, something I need to take, pay attention to. Um, this series called The Win, last week we talked about service. Today we're talking about community. Then we're going to move on to evangelism and generosity as we walk through the win and the four cultures of Connection Church and kind of how and why we do the things that we do. So this week we're going to talk about community having to do with the Big C Church but also how, it, how we do community here at Connection Church. Obviously, you saw the video, how important connect groups are to us, and, uh, and, and we love our connect groups, and that is where real life happens. Community can't happen in this big room. We'll talk about a little more about that um, as we move through it. But if you will, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he, he of course, the beginning of this book in verses 1 and 2, he's building up to uh, kind of dropping the hammer on the people of Corinth, or this church in Corinth. And he does this in chapter 3. So we're going to look here and use these verses and a, a few other passages of Scripture, scripture today to, to kind of paint this picture as to um, reasons why we're not in community or what happens in community when things go a little bit awry, but then some remedies for that as we walk through this together. So look with me in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, beginning with verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I cannot address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants, the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the day. We're thankful for the things that you've already done, the, the transformations that you're making in people's lives. I thank you for speaking to me personally over this past couple of weeks and preparing this message and I ask for your wisdom. I ask to be obedient to you and the things that you want me to say. God, I pray that each of us open our hearts, allow you to plunder around and correct us where we need to be corrected, God. Break us where we need to be broken. Mend us where we need to be mended, Lord. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. How about that worship this morning? Is that awesome? Y'all were singing so good. 
I wish you could see like behind the set back here. There's a, there's a black curtain and we moved it up. So there's like six or eight feet back there now. I'd be embarrassed if y'all could see what I'm doing back there during worship. I mean, I can dance when I'm by myself back there. I'm getting down, singing as loud as I can. It is fun. But worship was awesome this morning. Thank you to our worship team and all that goes into that, our creative staff, everybody that helps prepare that. So Paul says by this time, you should be growing up. You should be entering into adulthood. You should be eating solid food, but you're acting like children. You're acting like infants. So I began to think about um, having three kids of my own uh, who are older now. They're not infants anymore. But I think back to those days of infancy. And there's all kind of great stories. And there's all kind of fun things that we can think about. There's also very uh, sleepless nights and, and a lot of dreary days that come after you have a child. But, but infancy is, is beautiful. It's very, very beautiful as we walk through and watch our children grow. But if I, if I came to you and you have your, your infant and I came and visited you in the hospital and we kind of ooh and ah and this is so wonderful and, and so amazing. And then maybe three years later I come to your house and, and, and you want me to see your child and, and they're, they're still an infant. It would be kind of odd, wouldn't it? They're just still kind of acting like an infant. They, they may be growing physically somewhat, but they're still, you know, like, you know, sitting there doing what infants do. Nothing, right? Eating, pooping, that's about all they, all they do, crying a little bit or a lot, according to how your child is. But how, how about we go maybe 10 years after that, I come to your house and, and it's the same thing. They're, they're 10 years old and they kind of look 10, but they're still acting as an infant. You know, got a pacifier in their mouth. At 10 years old is a little, it's a little odd, right? It'd be kind of weird, but that's exactly what Paul is saying here. That the state of, the, of, of many Corinthian believers was just this. Because a baby cannot help itself, and a baby certainly cannot help others. And that's the life of many believers. They, they make their pastors their spiritual nursemaids. They expect others to do it for them. It's a serious matter when spiritual babies keep their pastor and other leaders busy and continuously occupied and nursing and feeding them and, and helping them grow rather than helping themselves. They don't know how to feed on Christ's word. Paul says solid food here. So the pastor must feed them. They don't know how to have contact with God, so they ask the pastor to pray for them. They don't know what it is to live as those who have God to help them. They always want to be nursed. They want to be helped. So I ask you the question, is that the reason you come to church? Is that the reason you are here to get someone else to feed you? Do you know what a baby does? He always occupies somebody and you can never leave them alone. So as I prepare for this, what I wanted to do is come up here and go, you bunch of babies need to grow up. That would be easy, right? You come here and go, y'all need to grow up and act like big boys and girl Christians. That's what you need to do. And I could walk off, spike my Bible and go eat, right? That would be easy. But the more I got into this, I was like, it's not about them. It's not about me. He's talking to us. Because from time to time, we all end up in this place. We all end up wanting to be infants, wanting to be held, wanting to not do anything. 
I just want to be fed. One of the most common reasons people say that they are leaving a church, and many times this church, is they make that statement, I just don't feel like I'm being fed anymore. Like it's our fault. Like what we don't preach is deep enough for them. Right? I don't really know anything other to preach than this. So if it's not deep enough, eh, not really sure what's going on there. The Corinthians are still fleshly because they're acting as though Christ did not change any of that. They're acting as though the Christ on the cross really didn't matter. That they get this saving grace of him and then just sit there and do nothing with it. Paul says they're acting like children. So the labor of Paul or Apollos would have been fruitless if God wasn't doing the work. If God wasn't at work all along. So if the work we're engaged in is something else other than the cross of Christ, then we're going to fail. If that's not our goal and our common goal for all of us, then we're going to fail. Or we're just going to stay the same and keep moving through. Our understanding and our practice of mission should not be shaped by the culture's assumption about consumerism. It doesn't mean that we focus on being the best religious deal on the block. It doesn't mean that we, in our mission is, is an assumption that we sell the gospel or we sell membership because we're the cheapest ones out there. That's not the mission of Christ. We can't get caught up in the flesh. We can't just be flashy and be something somebody wants and then just come sit with it. We're to plant the seeds of God's mercy, which will grow by God's action and in God's time. That's what we are called to do. Plant seeds, water those seeds, then God does the rest. Anything other than that is pure manipulation. We're called to nurture and water with mercy and compassion, love and justice, and leave whatever growth there is to God. So instead of allowing themselves to be trained up to know their God and be strong, they need help with everything, just like an infant. They need help with everything. They can't help themselves and therefore can't help others. So I want you to think about this, that we get this a lot, is I need to, I need to see Brandon. I need to see Brandon. If you look around, there's more than two of you in here, right? And over the last few weeks, we've had a lot of people here. And to have the expectation that everybody can be in community with Brandon or everybody can be in community with, with any single staff member is very difficult to comprehend. And some people get offended by that. Well, he just doesn't want to talk to me. I promise you, Brandon would love to talk to everyone, but then he would burn out and die, and we would not have a pastor anymore. It's a physical impossibility to do that and put that expectation on him. So the way we do church simplifies that and keeps it small by doing connect groups, by doing life together in small groups, because we are all called to be priests. The priesthood of believers is the church. As we lead and our gifts are, are sorted out by God's calling, we all rise up into different places where God points out different gifts. So each one of us minister to each other. That's what the community is all about. For a little child, a spiritual baby of three months old, we, they don't know what victory over sin is, and that is expected. 
But when a man or a woman continues year after year after year to just want baby food, that can be detrimental and something's radically wrong with it. Perhaps we all need that reminder. We need to be reminded whether we spend you know, worship time in the pulpit, in the pew, the chairs, wherever we do this, that neither the congregation nor the ministry belongs to us. It's not ours to, to hold on to, to keep. The church doesn't belong to culture or the marketplace. It doesn't even belong to a particular theologians or denominations. The church belongs to God. The church is called to see in and through, and sometimes despite the workers of the church, that God is the one who's bringing growth. He is the one who is flowering the seed that's been planted through the preaching and living of the gospel. That's who Paul's talking to. He's talking to these Christians that have not grown in their faith. And like I said before, we all fall into that category from time to time. And There are many times in life, though, that we walk through life and things happen to us. And as we're in our small groups and things may happen, there may be that divorce that comes along. There may be that that just marriage that's falling apart and we need that support. And and we can't be, we, we must be fed. We can't feed ourselves because we're in a terrible traumatic place. That's the place for it to happen. But we can't stay there. We can't stay there and just continue to be fed. We must take responsibility following that. So the church belongs to God. Paul goes on to talk about feelings and behaviors. And you know, most of you know that I'm a a therapist and a licensed therapist, and and that's what I do part-time in the week and part-time here at the church. So this is my favorite part because we get to talk about feelings and behaviors, right? It's kind of fun. All the guys are like, oh, jeez, feelings, right? Give me something to do. I'm going to give you both. So I'm going to talk about feelings and what we're supposed to do with them. But what Paul is talking about here is he gets a little critical about what's going on. So beginning in chapter 1, Paul's been criticizing the world out there. And he's bringing it. In this letter, he is bringing it. And I can just imagine the leaders in Corinth are reading this letter, and they're like, yeah, get them, Paul. All those sinners out there, they need to, they need to understand who Christ is. A lot of I just, the heads are nodding, and they're just going on and, and getting fired up. And he's made this sharp distinction between God's wisdom and the false wisdom in this doomed age, as he calls it. Then in chapter 2, he mentioned the we of spiritual things. We who are spiritual deal with spiritual things. I think the Corinthians are are just on the edge of their seats. They're like, yeah, yeah. He's including us in that because we're spiritual, either in the receiving of it or the giving of it. So he's got them. And then chapter 3 starts, and he drops the hammer on them. I mean drops it on them. Paul makes it clear in chapter 3 that they aren't spiritual at all. Since their behavior is being determined by competition for status, the expected pursuits of society rather than the gospel. Flesh, he says. Flesh, in this text, means something internal, private, or hidden. That's a scary place to be. It's a scary thing to follow is the flesh. It means pursuing the good life, whatever that means. Pursuing the good life by whatever you want to do, whatever feels right, pursue it, go after it. So that brings us to the word of the day, carnal. Just rolls off your tongue, doesn't it? 
carnal. How many people use that every day? We probably use it about other people, not about ourselves. Carnal, C-A-R-N-E-L, carnal. It's kind of a church word, kind of a word that we don't really like to say a lot. But the definition of it means pertaining to flesh, fleshly, sensual, opposed to spiritual, as carnal pleasure, being in this natural state and unregenerate. Feels good, doesn't it? Like, oh, preach on, we love you. It's hard to hear. So a carnal Christian is one who is truly saved, but who has not grown spiritually. Goes back to that infancy. Who's still in the stage of infancy, one who is still living like a lost person. And this poses a real problem because the church is a spiritual body. A spiritual body that is pursuing spiritual things. And when the spiritual body is communing, praying together, breaking open the word, we are a force to be reckoned with. We can take on the world when that is happening. However, what Paul is saying is the problem with you folks in Corinth is you're carnal. Your church is full of carnal Christians, ones who are truly saved but still living as if you were lost. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 through 8 says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So this carnal Christian then, much like the lost person, serves to oppose the church. That's a dangerous place to be. So someone who is actually saved and says that they love Jesus lives in opposition to what the church is trying to do. So God's interested in two different things. One, obviously God is interested in the eternal salvation of the lost, but he's also very interested in the maturing of the Christian. That sanctification word that we, that we talk about, that living out our faith, that staying in community, breaking open God's word, praying, living a life according to what Christ wants us to do, we continue to grow. So he wants both of those things for us. It's both and. He's all, he, the carnal Christian, though, pursues an agenda of majoring on the minors. Majoring on the minors and ignoring all the weightier matters that are of any spiritual significance. You see, they're consumed with trivial things, little things to, in complete disregard of spiritual needs. I was in youth ministry for 13 years, and the second church I ever served, or third church I ever served, was over in West Georgia. And we were, our youth group was growing, very small community, but we had a lot of kids coming to the church that didn't look like everybody else in the church, nor did they act like it because they didn't know how to act in church. So there were a lot of our more mature members who had a little bit of a problem with this. So one Wednesday night, I had this group of kids come in to Wednesday night supper. I mean, y'all been in traditional church, you know, Wednesday night supper, awesome, awesome stuff. So we're, we're in there eating, and this group of kids comes up to my table. We're kind of chit-chatting, and I'm, you know, just kind of high-fiving and glad that they're there. We're going to have our, our youth group later that night. So the next Sunday is deacon's meeting, deacon's meeting night. And I've been summoned to the deacon's meeting, which I think is straight from the pit of hell most of the time is things that happen. I love deacons. I mean, I really do. I'm just, just kidding with you. But a lot of things are very trivial, just like this story. 
So on the agenda, major part of the agenda, talk to youth minister, didn't even use my name, talk to youth minister about kids wearing hats in church. So I'm reading this, and I'm just kind of like, oh, great. So this old feller who I really love but um, was just a cantankerous old guy, he starts to talk about it and says, I'm just really bothered by these kids wearing hats in church. So, of course, as, you know, as cordial as I could, I said, you're right, I'll have them remove their hats. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that at all. I said, sir... I was polite to begin with. I said, sir, would you rather have them in hats or not have them here at all? And he looked me square in the eyes and he said, not here at all. And I punched him in the face and he died in the Dickens meeting. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wanted to. It took everything I had. Thankfully, I had a pastor who totally backed me up and... Um, that man never really got over the hat issue, but it just, it just wasn't that big a deal to me. It was trivial. It was minor. But that's what the carnal person gets hung up with a lot of times. So in verse 3, Paul gives us these three identifying marks of a carnal Christian. And he talks about jealousy, quarreling, and divisions that are in the church. Things that happen and, and, and why they are there. So we're going to look at these three things very quickly and then talk about the remedies for these things. So the first one is jealousy. Don't we love some jealousy? Isn't that the best feeling in the world that you can have? Everybody just loves that little show of hands. Everybody's just like, yeah, I love feeling jealous. It's such a good pit feeling in my stomach when I feel that way. Especially us guys. Remember, guys, we back up. Some of you might be experiencing it today, so sorry if this is stirring it up for you. But... Um, you know, you, you, you date and, and you have yourself a girlfriend and then that girlfriend maybe starts talking to somebody else or you see her in the hallway and she's talking to some other dude and you're like, oh, oh, oh what's going on there? And, and that's that jealousy that builds up and, and we don't want them to do that because we're so scared of losing them, so scared of them, them leaving us, of our own insecurities or whatever it may be. But jealousy is just a, a horrible feeling that we have. There's a couple of reasons why I think we have this. One is that we focus on others, that, that we're looking outside of ourselves all the time. This, this person, instead of focusing on their own life and, and keeping that right, vibrant relationship with God, is, is virtually always concerned and watching and criticizing everybody else. Others can't do anything right. They can point it out all the time. They also criticize the way things are done. The way things are done, something will always be wrong with the way it's done. Now, thankfully, at Connection Church, we have never had a complaint. Nobody has ever complained about anything, about our building, our parking situation. None of that has ever happened, right? It's either too cold, too hot, something is always wrong. We had a guy come in when we first got in the building, came in, Comes up to the back. He goes, I have mud all over my feet. What am I supposed to do about that? It's like, brush them off? I don't know. I mean, or walk your behind back to your car. I don't know what, what you need to do about that. But we, we, everybody complains about things from time to time. But that's where that, that jealousy comes up is looking outside and criticizing the things around us. Somehow the carnal Christian always feels like they're being shortchanged. They're always being um, one-upped by somebody else. 
being treat, treated like people are superior to them all the time. So there's just jealousy, this, this want for what somebody else has. They, they can't even understand that somebody's joy might actually be coming from their relationship with Christ. They look at them and they're like, I wonder why they're so happy. Just right off the bat, i got this attitude. And they talk like that, exactly like that. I wonder why they're so happy. It's all in the face crinkles up like that. And, and it's just, it's ugly. But, but they do that. They just can't understand that somebody would actually be happy because of their relationship with Christ. I know they probably got more money than I do or they stole it or something's wrong. Can't be because of their relationship with God. Nobody has that kind of relationship with God. It just goes on and on. So jealousy is a clear marker of that carnality we're talking about. The second thing is quarreling. Another word here is strife in many translations, strife. So quarreling is kind of like fighting. Strife is something we'd sort of interject into, into people or into community. We, we want to cause this, these problems. Jealousy is about a feeling, and then quarreling or strife comes into the behavior part we're talking about. So the carnal Christian must be in charge. They've got to be in control. Must be in control regardless of whether it's their area or not, I might add. Whether it's their responsibility, they're going to interject themselves and try to take over because they got to be in control. They're critical and in opposition to almost everything anyone else initiates. Something's going to be wrong with it. You're not doing it right. I need to step in here and get control of this. So that political maneuvering is the game. Control is the goal. And they'll pursue this control regardless of the spiritual damage that follows. The concern is not the spiritual welfare of others, but the superiority of its of the, their own position. So the carnal Christian then is often in direct opposition to what God is doing. When God is moving in one direction and that carnal Christian sees that, it can't happen that way. Oh, no, I'm not going to have that. That's not what I want. I'm losing control if God begins to move in a direction that he wants to move in. So quarreling, active opposition to God's people is a very, very strong identifying mark to the carnal Christian. Well, the last one is divisions. Now, of course, we recognize something of ourselves in these Corinthians. Congregations can become divided, can become distracted by old allegiances, maybe even to former leaders, maybe to, to old fights and, and things that may have happened, old hurts in, in even former churches or, or f with family. Those things tend to follow us. Even in a new church like Connection, only in the eighth year, with only one pastor, we've only had one pastor, people still bring those hurts with them. Just come in and, and start to talk about them, and, and they just make assumptions that those things are going to happen here too. So you bring that hurt with you. We so easily think that those things need to define us when God wants us to be defined by the wisdom of the cross, not by the struggles of our past. God's adamant in his word about maintaining unity in the church. Unity does not mean that we are all alike by any means. It means that we're all focused in the same direction. We all come from different backgrounds. We're very diverse. We all have different gifts, but we have the same purpose, and that is to read, preach, and teach the Word of God and to do what it says each and every day. Unity is no small thing with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, early in this letter, he says, Is Christ divided? 
And then another letter to the church of Ephesus in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 3, he says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. Those who are causing divisions then are operating according to this naturalistic, fleshly, sensual, worldly, selfish behavior. Christ is not divided. Christ is not divided, therefore his church is not divided. And I've seen it all. In the years of ministry, I have seen it all when it comes to church divisions. I've seen a church divide over the color of carpet. I've seen a church divide over taking pews in or out of the church or moving things here and there. Chandeliers have been the demise of many churches, many churches. And they fall apart. Or or, or the ones I I love to hear usually comes around um, worship people for some reason. Worship leaders and, and, and singers like he sings too much. He doesn't sing enough. He sings too loud. Music's too loud. Music's too soft. It's always some type of complaint around there. They just can't be happy and divide and divide and divide. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. The carnal Christian thrives on the offenses of others. They thrive on the downfalls of other people so they can exploit those things and cause strife and cause divisions in the church and become the enemy of what God wants to happen. So Paul makes it clear later in this chapter in verses 16 and 17 what he thinks about this and what God says about it. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. You together are. We together are that temple. We are that church. Men, do you protect your wives? Do you have that feeling of protecting your wife? Because that's what God is saying here. If we're at the fair, because crazy things happen at the fair, right? But if my wife and I are walking hand in hand down through the fair, and people are walking by us, and some dude walks up and just slaps the crap out of my wife, what do you think I'm going to do? That didn't hurt. Come on, let's get on this next ride. (laughs) No. No, that's not going to happen. I'm going to crack up in some type of can that you can describe however you want to. And it's about to be on. Somebody's about to get thrown on a ride that doesn't want to get on a ride, under a ride, end up as one of those balloons that darts are going to be thrown at. But somebody's going to jail. That's why I just put it that way. All right? Probably myself for what I'm about to do to you. But we have this protective feeling of our our wives and our families and the things that are near and dear to us. It's what God's saying. You mess with my bride, you mess with my church, I will destroy you. 
Those are strong fighting words from God. And I think it's such an indictment on us as the church who says, you know what, I don't need to cause divisions. I need to build the bride of Christ up. So if I'm complaining, I'm doing stuff that's bringing the church down, that's on me. I need to check on that and clear that up. So divisions then are these clear indicators of the carnal Christians. So what, what do we do about it? What is the remedy of all this? And I've given you all this and you're like, gosh, would you stop preaching? I feel like crud right now. Just stop. But there is a remedy. And Paul's very clear as to the things that we need to do as a church to remedy this. And there are three very important things I want to give you as we land this plane. The first one is this. We must see ourselves as equal, not superior. We must see ourselves as equal, not superior. Those who are in Christ, we all receive the same Christ. We all got the same Holy Spirit when we invited Christ into our lives. We all receive this perfect spiritual nature about us. That doesn't change. I didn't get a little bit more than you did. You didn't get a little bit more than I did. We got the same Christ. But we all have different gifts. No one's superior over another one. It takes every one of us to do what we do Sunday through Saturday at Connection Church. It takes all the gifts to do anything at any church across the entire world. We're all gifted in different ways to do different things. We must begin to view and treat all people equally with respect. James chapter 2 is a, was an eye-opening book for me. I love the book of James. And it always just, just throws things in my face. But James chapter 2 beginning with verse 1 says this. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Then skip to verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Whoa, that was right in my face. So I can, I can do all of these great things. I can speak to people. I can love on people. I can pray for people. I can read my Bible. I can do these things. But if that one time, that one time I show favoritism or I look down on somebody for being different than me, then according to the text, I have failed the entire law. I've broken it in the eyes of Christ. There are two things. There are some of us in here who feel inferior to others, and there are those of us who feel superior to others. God doesn't see it that way at all. It's not about social status. There's no place for social status in the bride of Christ. There's no place for that in the church. There's no place for racism in the church. It is over with, people. There is no racism anymore if you love Christ and you're doing what he says that you're supposed to do. It cannot exist. It's a spiritual impossibility to have this superior feeling about yourself over another culture. It's just, it's stupid. I'll just be honest with you. It's ignorant. 
We have got to get past those things. Social status and racism, those things creep up all the time with conversations. Of, Tell me how this goes. Guys, we're all equal in the eyes of Christ. Sin is no different for each one of us. My sin is no worse than yours. Your sin is no worse than mine. We're equal in the eyes of Christ. In Connect Group, real life happens. The community gets formed and tested. It's where we get to talk about these issues and talk about the things that are bothering us. And when we walk in there, and we're like, I'm struggling with this. I know I'm not supposed to feel this way, but I do. Wonderful. Let's talk about it. Let's break it down and love each other through it. Accepting the equality of believers and not viewing or treating others with any partiality is a step towards spiritual maturity. The second thing is this. We must realize we are laborers, not critics. We're laborers, not critics. We're all laborers, workers called by God. And when we accept this and focus on the call, it's where God wants us to be. Have you ever noticed that those who are most critical do the least amount of work? They stand back just criticizing what everybody else is doing. Yesterday was awesome. It was awesome for our, our Connector Conference. Having all, all you folks here that were here yesterday and from all of our campuses here learning and serving and training, these folks are here because they want to be here. We don't pay our connectors. You even have to pay for your own shirt. Nothing's free. You have to pay for your shirt to serve. But it's an investment into what God has called you to do. You can ask any connector. You don't do it because you have to. You do it because you want to and you desire to. We don't need anything from you. We want something for you each and every day. The work of God looks completely different than the work of the world. The last thing is this. We must correct, not condemn. The cadet groups is where this happens. Community is where this happens. The Bible is clear that those who are spiritual are to do the restoring of those who mess up. Those who step into things that they shouldn't step into. We're all in it together. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You know what I think that tempted is? I think it's not be tempted to do the sin they're doing, but tempted to judge them. It's about being judgmental about somebody else's faults that you probably have the same ones. I probably have the same ones. So be careful there. Being in community does not mean we have the best gossip possibilities on the planet, right? That whole, I got a prayer request. Did y'all hear about? That's how it starts out, right? It's just, let's talk about these people. Then we'll pray for them and everything will be okay. And if we throw a bless your heart in there, it makes it perfectly fine, right? That's the way it goes. But what I discovered, we, we built a house several years ago and, and in doing that, we we want to take out some trees, obviously, to build the house. But there's some other areas around our house I wanted to thin some out. And the guy that was doing it for me, he said, well, these are maples. And the way they grow, if you take out too many of them, the other ones will fall because they're holding the other ones up. They've grown up together. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I, that's a great spiritual illustration. But thin the trees. I need to be able to see, right? So he did what I asked him to do. And over the years, trees have fallen. He was right. Those trees hold each other up, and that's what we do in community. When we hold each other up and walk through things together, there are many times when we say the divorce has come. 
death happens. The storms will rise. They will come our way. The streams will rise up around us. Bad things will happen. But when we are in community with each other, we can walk through it together. We can love each other through it. So many Christians sort of relish in the failures of others, and that's not what community is about. We walk away with it, they deserved it feeling instead of loving them through it. It's a huge responsibility to correct rather than condemn, but God calls us to do it. So I ask you that question this morning. Where is your community? Where are you finding community? Because you can find it for a little while in big church on Sunday mornings, but you're not going to find true community until you get into a connect group. Do you get into a small group and begin to do life together with someone side by side? So I'm going to challenge you this morning is to don't leave here going to old times buffet looking for formula. Let's leave here hungry because when we leave hungry or we enter into here hungry, we can get full. But when we come in just with a little bit of appetite, maybe we'll get something, maybe we won't. We're not going to get full. It's not going to happen. Maybe this morning the decision you need to make is, and you're saying in your mind, you know, this carnal thing, I got that going on. I can handle that just fine because I don't even have a relationship with Christ. So I'm living the carnal life just fine. So you want to start a relationship with Christ for the first time today, and we want you to do that. We want to celebrate with you. And we make that very simple because we want to celebrate so much, we just do that publicly. Because if you can confess yourself before men, then Jesus will confess you before his Father in heaven. So right here, right now, if God's speaking to you and you know that you need to make today the marker, today is the, the first day of the rest of your life because you want to begin a new relationship with Christ, just raise your hand right where you are so we can celebrate with you. Anybody in here who wants to begin this relationship with Christ for the first time today? Anybody at all? Thank you, brother. Amen. Amen. See right down here. Somebody's going to come with you and we want to pray with you. Anybody else? Brave soul broke the ice. Easy now. Anybody else? All right. So the second thing. For the rest of us, carnal Christians, right? Remember, we're all in this boat together. We all walk through this from time to time, but we can't stay there. So God may be just challenging you today to say, you know what? Stop eating the baby food. Stop expecting the leaders to feed you. You have to take some responsibility and reach out and reach for some solid food and begin to grow in Christ. So what is keeping you from doing that? fear? Is it anxiety? Is it I want to fail? Whatever it may be, God's got the answer for it. And we have, our prayer team is, is always available at the end of the service, and we want to open up the altar for just a couple of minutes. Just a couple of minutes right here at the end of the service. If you want to be prayed for, if you want to just come up and use the altar to just walk through this with God and say, lead me in the next step. Let me take my next step. I need some solid food. I need to begin to grow. At the end of that, the band's going to play a song and give some of you a head start. Those of you that are wanting to join connect groups, we would like to dismiss you first so you can get out in the atrium and do that. Um, 
and would love for you to sign up for a connect group today. Had over 220 sign up last Sunday. Already had a big group this morning. Sign up at nine. We'd love to, to, to get that number right on up there to get all of us in small groups doing life together. So let's pray together. You come as God leads you. God, we thank you. We love you. Work in our hearts today, God. I think it's a spiritual impossibility for us, God, to look at your son on the cross and the things that he did for us and to walk away from this place and turn our back and go, you know what, I'm just, no, I don't want to do that. God, as your son hung on the cross and bled for each of one of us, I pray, God, that this day that we all commit ourselves to a new and growing relationship with you, that we learn how to serve you. We learn to be in community with each other and with you, that we learn how to take that from this place and, and share it with other people, God, and then we become generous with what we have. Thank you, God, and we love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.